we're, we're all struggling with it. We're all struggling with this. Well, is Yule, Yule? I, I don't know how to do the Scandi, the Scandi vowels. We went, we've been through it's, this. Yule? It's, it's <laughs> y- 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 Yule, 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 I feel bad. Somebody did show me how to pronounce this. Yule, Yule, flood. Yola Boca Flood. I think it's not even Scandi, it's Nordic. It's it's, it's like it's, it's Icelandic. It's an, it's, yeah, it's adjacent. Yo, Yolo Boca Flood. I'm going to try. Please write this down in the show notes later. <laughs> I feel bad because it really is like once you see it written down and you re- see what it is, it really is just Yule Book Flood. Ah. <laughs> the Christmas Book Flood. Ah. That makes a lot more sense. Which does lead us into today's topic. Hi, welcome to Indulgently Minimal. I am Moggy and I am joined today by Jeff. Hey up guys, I have a flawless Icelandic pronunciation. (laughs) And Murdoch. Hello everyone. (laughs) And on today's patented blobcast, we will be discussing books and, I don't know, like... Christmas is coming, right? And we, we've had lots of episodes talking about, you know, trying to get away from the commercialization and everything else. But at the end of the day, I think it's difficult to go wrong with giving a good book. And mm. we began today's topic with how we want to begin, I guess. There is a tradition in Iceland. I don't know how widespread, Prevalent. prevalent it actually is, but it's a nice idea, this Yola Bukaflod, where everybody will give each other a book, and then, I don't know, do they all just go off into their corner and read? I like to imagine it, it's like, you know those videos where, like, somebody gives a raccoon some food and they scurry away and eat it? <laughs> I, think, I like to imagine that everybody gives each other books, and then they all scurry away to their corners and sit happily and read their books. Well, Iceland is such a magical-seeming place, like, it's got so much of, like, you know, Northern Europe's mythology is entwined with it, that I kind of, like, as we discuss this, they all sort of start to shrink down into the little people, and they get <laughs> the little... The Hildefolk. and then they get little hats, and they're all running away like like you know scurrying <laughs> yeah like with their books like. mm. we apologize to the people of Iceland profusely <laughs> you're a magical people and we love you uh, Scandi vibes are amazing for this kind of stuff their folklore is so it's such a big part of at least the northern European tradition I know that we get a lot of the the very cozy vibes, the the cute little, the little people, I mean, they're everywhere in European culture, but I think Britain, especially, we got some of it from them. And But we also got things like the Moomins from the Finns. So, hmm. you know. Uh, Which is just great. You know, we've been watching Hilda on Netflix and that's, you know, while it's an English written comic, it's very heavily Scandinavian influenced. It did very cozy vibes. But hmm. there is this thing of books and... Hilde was uh, just a small introduction. Like it, 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 it was, it was nice, but there was definitely a, a certain sort of like underlying darkness to it. Uh, that's the strange. that's the Scandi vibe. I mean, that's the folklore vibe. The mm. you know, these stories have a message, and that is, if you wander off into the woods, you're gonna die. <laughs> like most folklore has this undercurrent of, don't go into the marshes, you're gonna die. Don't go mm. into the woods, you're gonna die. The ocean? Mm-hmm. Don't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking about it. <laughs> you know what to do. <laughs> so anyway, trying to shoehorn us back in on topic. <laughs> Perhaps you can, there, there are plenty of books on Scandinavian mythology. You could be giving away. I mean, books are a good gift, right? 
right? Mm. Mm, definitely. I mean, they're not expensive. They are great gifts. There are a few situations where they're not perhaps not a great gift. For example, if somebody cannot read the language of the book you're giving them, <laughs> probably not <laughs> ideal. Does it oh, have that pictures? is an undertaking then. Here's yeah. the book. Pictures? I'm expecting you to master the language to be able to understand the language, you know, to be able to understand the book in the language it was originally written in. Uh, it's the only true way to read. Why have you given me a book in ancient Sumerian? What does this book do? <laughs> what, what is this binding? No, okay, now we're, we're, we're family-friendly podcast. No evil dead here. Uh, uh, well, maybe just a small side tangent. It's basically, yes, books are fantastic, and it's amazing that we do get a lot of translations of famous books. Some things can get lost in translation as well. True. Like, apparently Dostoevsky is funny in Russian. Hmm. Yeah. It does not translate that well into English. I think there's I, there is a yeah, I think there's like a something is lost in the translation. Some of the subtleties are gone or understanding of wordplay in a different language that doesn't follow through. Uh, a, a favorite saying of mine is that jokes are like frogs. You can dissect them to understand them, but this kills the frog. It's the same is true of translation. You know, if you're like I read some of Nisiisen's books, who's mm. a Japanese author, and he loves mm. wordplay. And a lot of this stuff is supposed to be comedic, but poignant, and it drives the plot. He loves wordplay. His name is a um, palindrome, Nisi's. Mm. But yeah, you're reading this book and you just got like, you know, pages of notes saying, ah, in Japanese, this word would mean this, and this is a pun. And you sort of like go, hmm, yes, yes. No humor left. Like you've sucked <laughs> it dry. The frog is well and truly dead by that point. It's not even, you can't even put it in Sensible Truck or Magazine. It's just gone. Yeah. Hmm. So there, there is that. But, I mean, at the end of the day, a good book still transcends. You can read Dostoevsky and still get the profundity of it. Hmm. So, I mean, for me, I think a book is an interesting gift because I feel like it's a gift. It's a little bit of an obligation. Like, here, I love this book. I hope you love it too. And you're like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> Here is something that you need to spend, take time and dedication. And I know if you're not going to read it because I'm going, I'm going to mention something and see if you react to it in six months. I'm what do you mean react to it? I'm expecting so like an essay. Reading comprehension in sixth grade. Please don't do this to me, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> that book report is due, Murdoch, by the way. No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Stop it. 3,000 words on my desk by Monday. Thank you. <laughs> Just, I hate it, like, over and over and over and over again. <laughs> Maybe we did hit upon, like, a tiny little nerve that might be sort of like an unconscious bias we have against books in the sense that, ah, uh, you know, this is like reading, uh, what was it, J Jane Austen? <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to maybe add a little more to that before we can chime in. Jane Austen is an author, yes. I'm trying to remember what 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 book was it that you know was very famous for being given out or or something like called Pride the Wild or what 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 is a famous like school book you read this in school you write your reports on this it depends on your culture I'm sorry yeah, every, it, it, the culture the school uh, the age range mm. um, which teacher you've got okay well let, let's say, say for example something out of middle school or high school. Yeah. Well, my teacher was obsessed with Thomas Hardy, which is why I hate Thomas Hardy with a passion. It's hmm. it's not easy reading. I mean, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, they're all, you know, um, Emma. They're all Jane Austen novels that are commonly read. But maybe like uh, rather than getting into the weeds on that one, I think 
When you give a book, I think you have to consider who you're giving it to, as opposed mm. to, I love this and I want someone else to talk to about it. Jeff. Mm -hmm. Just Actually, read no. Gormenghast. Somebody <laughs> else read Gormenghast. I need Nobody. to know. I'm not imagining this whole thing. You did. It, it's not real. I refuse to please, admit that that book is somebody. real. I know there was a BBC show of it. I haven't seen it. Somebody please read Gormenghast. <laughs> Indulgently minimal at gmail.com. Do you want to be Jeff's friend? Do you want to be please. Jeff's Gormenghast friend? <laughs> We're baiting people now. Are you unleashing horrors into the world, Jeff? <laughs> yes, he is. It's, it's a very, oh, very strange book. It, it's, it's, it's a strange and wonderful and bizarre book. It's the third forgotten child of Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and... Mervyn Peake is like, ah, yes, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis wrote these wonderful, brilliantly visual, bright, yeah. time-honored fantasy classics. And then Mervyn Peake is in the background <laughs> eating glue, writing Gormenghast. <laughs> and it's just wonderful. It's so, oh, man, you, somebody else read it, please. I mean, all jokes aside, this is kind of the, the risk when giving a book away that you're giving a book not because you think the person will enjoy it but because you enjoy it and you hope that they will enjoy it i know that mm. jeff you didn't particularly enjoy hyperion as a book which i was like raving about it and mm. you had mixed feelings on that one yeah i mean i remember it i, I, I tell you what i do remember it very well it's stuck with me That's which is a sign of a good book it's, yes. it's a good mm. book there's no doubt about it it's just perhaps not my cup of tea yeah mm. whereas you know i spent many years giving out the lies of Loch lamora as a gift yeah, i gave it to everybody i knew that read is like okay now here's your copy of lies of Loch lamora get back to me because it's it's such a good book. It's I'm rereading it right now. It's hmm. a great book. It's amazingly well written, but it's not, it's one of those books that you can just read it and read it and read it. And the pacing, the chapters, but also like the style of English used to write it. It's just very easily read without being simplistic. It, I, I could go on. I could make a podcast just talking about those books. <laughs> the, the writing, the characters, the characters are so fun. You really fall in love with all the characters because they're just mm -hmm. so well imagined. So yeah, imagined, mm. and they're so real. And and it's such an interesting take on a very well worn genre. It's a, a medium to low fantasy setting, and it's like okay, okay, magic. You've got you know, street urchins and all the rest of it. Okay, we've all been here before, but the kind of mixing in with the sort of con artist, what was that BBC show that always reminds hustle. me of? Hustle. Hustle, yeah. It's like mixing like low fantasy with hustle. It's very imaginative. I don't want to say unique. Mm. I'm sure other people have done it, but he does it particularly well. I have an image for you. Oh, yes. I feel like a, a, a child on like, you know, a cold winter's night looking in through the window <laughs> of a bakery. <laughs> what the lights are in there. <laughs> what the lights are in there and all of this looks delicious, but I'm out here and I, you know, I can't get into this. Mm. Mm. Perhaps you should purchase yourself a, or perhaps I will purchase you a copy and we can, uh, <laughs> and you can have a report on my desk by Monday. Oh, no, well, no. So, ah, speak, speaking of which, sorry, I had to look this up on the side. So what I had in mind wasn't Jane Austen. So apparently she wrote Pride and Prejudice. What I had in mind idea. was Jane Eyre. Oh, Jane Eyre. Yeah, I didn't even get the name. Wow, it's been so long. I, that, I, I apologize oh, to the audience. It come from Yorkshire, that one. It come from Yorkshire. <laughs> oh, that, 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 if I remember, like that, that was kind of a dry book. Yeah, well, it's well, it's, it's they're definitely of their time. Um, the I mean, the Bronte books, the Bronte sisters books, are technically brilliant. 
mm. and they really are. A um, little bleak. <laughs> a little bleak. Well, I mean, it was written in Yorkshire. What do you expect? <laughs> Everybody was dying of typhoid or something. I don't know. <laughs> a very, very, uh, very beautiful part of Yorkshire as well, where they come from. Mm-mm. I'm guessing it's basically like this. This is this is where sort of perspective comes into play, relativity comes into play. Like yeah. this may have been an excellent example of a book to some people, but for others it just didn't capture their attention, didn't capture their imagination. There's a real risk here because you know yeah. people are yeah. different. I'm not well, going like, to be handed when I'm giving books, I'm not going to sort of go out there like some sort of twisted Santa Claus handing out copies of Steppenwolf and Thomas <laughs> the Obscure. Or House of Leaves. Jude the Obscure, sorry, not Thomas. Jude the Obscure. Yeah, like, these are books that you... I'm not even sure you give these books as gifts. These are ones that you suggest to other like-minded individuals as a, perhaps you would enjoy this. It's it's like Citizen Kane as a movie. It's hmm. technically it's technically brilliant, but it may not be for everyone. The subject matter matters mm-hmm. a huge amount. You know, just because something is unilaterally, objectively good hmm. doesn't necessarily mean everybody's going to be into it. Mm-hmm. Definitely have an example of this. There's a book I will often recall, refer to, as it were, of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance is a book mm. I picked up on a whim one day. Like that the was cover a po- art looked very That's a popular book to give away, for sure. Um, it's, it's a strange one, for sure. Like, for some people, they consider it, like, either a very good introduction to philosophy or a very bad introduction to <laughs> philosophy. Either way, it does give you some context on philosophy. Like it but covers it starts a, a conversation. Uh, it starts a conversation, yes. But I mean, you read it. That's a start. It, yes, but that myself reading it was an undertaking. Like I did not finish this on like, you know, a nice warm <laughs> evening sitting down with like a cup of coffee. This is the kind of book which I would sit down, take a half an hour, an hour to go through like a chapter or part of a chapter. And then I have to put the book down and seriously contemplate the meaning of life. It is very <laughs> dense would be the right term. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it at its right pacing. And the mistake I made was just freely sort of recommending this book to people. I have gifted it on a very small number of occasions, so a very select group of people, and out of those, maybe one has gone through it. Yeah. It's, like we said, it's the risk, or at least when you give books, you've really got to consider who you're giving it to, like what kind of books do they read, how often do they read. Mm. You can't just give a bomb of a book to somebody and expect them to enjoy it. I mean, you could give somebody a book, you know, say, for example, that's like, it, it's fantastic. It's got all, it's got like lots of hints and hallmarks of a culture somebody's super into, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps living in right now, all the hints of magical realism that they really like. Read Piranesi, Marky, for the love of God, read Piranesi. <laughs> I will get around to it. I will get around to it. And this is something I actually wanted to pick up on. So... We've kind of been dancing around another part of this conversation, which is a little more inward looking of Mm -hmm. not all of us are great at reading, especially anymore. I know Mm -hmm. I have been guilty of not reading anywhere near as much as I used to as as a teenager, as a Mm, child. Same, same. same. And it's a hot. It's a hobby. Is reading a hobby? I'm going to say it's a hobby. I, th- it's, I think it is a hobby. I think it yeah. is. I think it is. It's something I want to get back into, but I struggle with. You know, I spent the summer reading The Color of Magic hmm. by Terry Pratchett. That was an undertaking. And that is not a difficult book to read. That's just mm-hmm. how much my reading ability is atrophied and my ability to 
focus to, you mm-hmm. know, to lose myself into a book. Yeah. And so, yeah, like when you're giving out or receiving books, there is this sort of thing of like, you're right, Jeff, I should re- read Piranesi. It's meant to be an amazing book. I, I read like the first page of it and was fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. And I still haven't read it. Hmm. I get it. I, I do. I do get it, though. I, I really get it. It's that ability to just sit there and devour a book like you did when you were 12, 13. It, it just, we don't, or at least I can't speak for Murdoch, but I know yourself and me, Moggy, we just don't have that anymore. We've let that skill atrophy. And it's a, it's a challenge to build it back up like any muscle. You have mm. to start slow and easy and build it sustainably. You can't go in and read The Brothers mm. Karamazov in, you know, after 10 years of not reading. Oh, no, no, Weirdly sure. enough, that one I did. I was able to read that one. <laughs> just blow my phone out of the water. Yeah, oh. like it's, this, is where, this is so weird. Like that one, I had it on a Kindle. Uh, back when I had a Kindle, and I would read it on my lunch breaks. You know, I'd go in and I'd have an hour for lunch and I'd, you know, do my... maybe. And for, for about half an hour, I would sit on the couch and read however much of the Brothers Karamazov I could. And I got through that book that way. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So Jeff, just, just, to, just to answer a point, like, as a child, I was an avid reader. I used to love reading books, you know, and you sit down in a corner somewhere and you just get lost in the words. And it, it, like, it did take a while to develop the skill, but, you know, I developed an appetite for reading book after book after book after book. That's strangely enough, as a side point, it, it may have helped with language development much earlier on. Oh, it does. Still, no, there's, there's, you know, there's it, no it conversation about that. Day. Yep, no, for sure. Like, if for you sure. want to help your children academically, reading to them from a very young age and just being a house that books are there and available and talked about is like one of the greatest gifts you can give to your kids. That as well as like an early musical education. Hmm. I mean, I'm looking in the notes. I don't know, Jeff, was this you? There's something about uh, uh, Answers in Progress have done a video on reading for pleasure. They're a great channel. What's oh, this about? I, I, I love Answers in Progress. It's um, So I think one of the members, I think it was Sabrina, did a video on, she was very much like we were, you know, um, children that just devoured books, just read them very quickly in huge quantities. And then over time, after going through school and reading for work instead of pleasure, the, the, the skill and the joy of reading atrophied completely. Mm-hmm. And then she set herself this challenge to read X amount of books in X amount of days. Yeah. But she did them in, she, each day she did different strategies. Like one day was every time you read, have a chapter, you get a little reward. Mm. And then the other one, another day was, is where she did nothing but read. She had no TV, right. no, uh, no devices, nothing. She wasn't allowed to do anything but read. Oh, and I read on my where, devices. <laughs> and there was another one where she punished herself if she didn't meet a certain goal. She had to do like um, like L sits or or wall sits or something. This sounds a little bit um, like Pavlovian conditioning, man. <laughs> what well, is this? And, and it was, and I think, and I think one of them at the end of it, if she, if she did manage to get all of them done, she got herself a pizza party or something. It was very cute. Uh, did she? Did they have any comments on what she found worked? Was there like a, a roundup? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, so from what I recall, and I don't remember it fully, so no, but <laughs> there were, she found like that when she was reading, but she was also walking around like she was pacing her hallway, mm-hmm. she found for her that was very, very effective because by she was reading, but by constantly doing something, she wasn't getting distracted okay. because she was still physically doing something. Hmm. Interesting. And it was like that, and that was a way, you know, maybe not sustainable, but a good way of building back up the muscles, kind of like riding with a 
riding a bike with training wheels. Hmm. Yeah, because, you know, that's triggered something for me where I think of, I've got this very romanticized idea of walking to a park or some quiet place and sitting under a lovely tree and then just reading. It's a very romantic idea, but perhaps that's it's that kind of forcing it as mm, opposed yeah. to finding what works. Small point here as well. I think I do have a certain nostalgia for the experience of reading books as a child. So, well, is the word voraciously? Yes, that is the word. Ooh, that is Hooray, a good word. I can words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ironically part of the topic today. But like, I do have this nostalgia for a time where I could get lost in a book. Um, yeah. I was much younger, had a lot of, you know, a lot more attention, a lot more energy. More uh, imagination. More like, and more imagination too. As a child, your imagination is so much, I don't know, rawer. It's, Elastic? Yeah, well, like, it, you know, it's as, yeah. it's as good as a TV show. I think as adults, like television in particular, does a lot of the heavy lifting for us. We don't have to picture what these people look like, mm -hmm. this scene that the author is setting. Mm -hmm. What was like, think, like you've got a book, say for a book that you read that you remember very vividly from when you were, when you were younger or a child even. Mm. I know for me, I still have those mental images of the locations. I, I'm, I'm terrible at faces. I can't imagine what people look like, but I'm, I, I always have very vivid Memories of how I imagine these places looking, the houses, the rooms. This is um, this is this is a very unique experience to people who will have read the book before watching a movie it is based on. Mm -hmm. It's a nice experience when, like, oh yes, it meets your expectations. Are like, oh, this is nothing like what what was in the book. It's it's great to have that perspective. I feel like that's a really good point to jump into like the latter side of the podcast where there are a couple of, I don't know, elephants in the room, shall we say, when it comes to reading. And I know that one of the reasons the Lord of the Rings movies were so popular is they they seem to meet everybody's standards, not even mm -hmm. expectations, but standards of yeah. what these should look like and how they should act. And who was it that had that quote about how Tolkien has kind of just pervaded the, is that a word? Yeah, it was, uh, it was Terry Pratchett, I think. He had like this whole thing on like how in fantasy Tolkien is like Mount Fuji in Japanese paintings where it's always there in the background. It may be large, it may be small, but it's always present. Mm, yeah. And the only time it's not present is because you're probably stood on top of Mount Fuji. <laughs> <laughs> Reading a copy of Lord of the Rings. Ooh. It's, you know, it's like, it's, you know, when you've got something like that, that's so culturally impactful, it influences everything. And I think he also mentioned the point is that sometimes if Mount Fuji's there, not at all. That's probably a conscious choice and it yeah. still reflects on Mount Fuji. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, he was the one who took the swords and sorcery genre out of the pulp domain mm. and elevated it into, you know, I have read academic book lists that put Lord of the Rings very high in like the greatest books ever written. Mm. It, it, they are truly wonderful works of art. Mm -hmm. I do want to poke at one elephant in the room. Another one. Ooh. Is it is it standing on a turtle? <laughs> Maybe. I it's don't just know. turtles all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a sort of continuation of like that nostalgic feeling that yes, I miss the feeling of reading of books comes coupled with like the sense of guilt that like I don't enjoy reading anymore or I don't or I, I can't enjoy reading anymore. 
and 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 that guilt itself is also you know it's counterproductive because it mm. it does sort of prevent you from being able to start or continue reading books sometimes. Well, we touched we touched upon this in a previous episode. It's mm. okay to stop reading a book you're not enjoying. Mm. Again, why I suggest books like The Lies of Locke Lamora, they can be easy to read mm-hmm. and it gets you back in. It's like, oh no, it's not me. It's not that I can't read anymore. Mm-hmm. It's that I am, my, my arms have become weak and noodly from yeah. the lack of exercise. <laughs> I need to it's build like spending- back up to it. It's like running, you know, spending 10 years running marathons and then stopping for 10 years and then trying to go back and run a marathon. Mm. You know, it's you can't just jump and you, know, you, you can't, can't just jump back, back to, into the Silmarillion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't go back to the level you are at. You need to build back up to it. And there mm. are there are books that will help you do that. Lies of Locke Lamora, I think, is a, a great example of a of a fantastic book, a very well-written book, but mm-hmm. a book that isn't super dense and that is easy to get into and flows very easily and very easy to pick up and put down. Hmm. I, I do have a bad example of this, actually. Okay. Uh, I, I remember going through, like, the adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn as a child and, like, you know, really enjoying those books. And there were some very important, you know, relevant to today's world. Yes, uh, very relevant to today's world issues. And it, it did help form a worldview. But I have tried picking up those books again just for the sake of seeing what it was that I read. And... They were extremely difficult to pick up again. Mm. I mean, they are children's books. I mean, yeah, a very well-known example of this is The Catcher in the Rye, where mm. reading this book at different ages can be very, very different experiences. Whereas mm. when you read it, especially as a teenager, a lot of people have the same experience of identifying very closely with the protagonist. Whereas as an adult, you find him whiny and annoying. Hmm. because it's capturing something that's very specific and unique to a very specific time in many people's lives. Hmm. And yet the the Tom Sawyer books are, at their heart, children's books. Mm -hmm. I've done this as well with many books that you loved as a child. You go back to them and they're difficult to read because they're for children. Hmm. And, And maybe this is like a good jumping off point where, again, whether it's as a gift or... As a gift to yourself, for example, you know, entry points to genres, because I know this can be a very frustrating point for many people, or at least a barrier where some people go, I don't like sci-fi. I've tried it and I don't like it. It's like trying a new genre of music, for example, and going, okay, let's give heavy metal a chance. And you start with Judas Priest's Painkiller. It's like, this is a very angular and difficult entry point to a very wide genre. Mm -hmm. Maybe let's not start sci-fi with, let's say, Philip K. Dick, which, which, you know, the literal ravings of a madman Mm -hmm. who admittedly had some amazing stories to tell and amazing worlds to build, but is a very difficult writer to read simply Mm -hmm. because he was, you know, unwell. Hmm. So like, you know, okay, so to jump off, like I would say like with fantasy, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett are great starting points exactly for what we talked about. They are incredible wordsmiths. Hmm. They know how to write a sentence. They know how to craft a story. And that carries you through where maybe you're not into fantasy and you're sort of like, oh, Hmm. it's all silly. Well, Neil Gaiman will carry you through because his words are literally poetry and prose. He is a wonderful, wonderful writer. 
Hmm. I would also chime in with Ursula, Ursula Le Guin and the Earth Earthsea series. Hmm. That is a perfect example of fantasy, and it's it's high fantasy. You know, well, it's not high fantasy. It literally, have dra- it literally have dragons. Literally, <laughs> literally dragons, and it's name magic and all, and it's you know, it's a sword and adventure, and but they're so. I mean, I'm reading them for the first time as an adult, and mm-hmm. I am just loving them. I'm really, really in love with these books, hmm. and I think they're a fantastic way of. I think they're a, a perfect example of getting into fantasy as a genre hmm. because they read super easily and the stories are simple, but not not simple, but simple, but not simplistic. Yeah. Um, there's not a huge amount of characters. There's not lots of different names and it's just very fun. It feels like you're on an adventure the whole time. Hmm. And these can be entry points so that you get used to the genre and then you can start to step outside of the more like this little paddling pool, let's say, of easy to read and then try something more challenging. Like without Gormenghast. The... Everybody should just read Gormenghast. Nobody's <laughs> reading Gormenghast. <laughs> because it's, technic- it's technically fantasy. Sci-fi. Let's move on to sci-fi before we end up as Gormenghast. <laughs> oh, I am so starting Gormenghast. Oh, my God. I, I do have an interjection point here before we continue. I think one more elephant in the room is this... this FOMO is a real thing with books, and I feel like there is there can be a general air of gatekeeping. In a sense, it's like, ah, yes, this knowledge of the ancients is reserved for the elites. You are not well-read. You do not read books. Why bother mm. yourself, little child? Yeah, we are for sure giving recommendations not based on gatekeeping. And if we are, like, you know, reprimand me for that, I hate gatekeeping in all of its forms Mm. read whatever you like these are more suggestions where if you have found let's say the masters difficult to read let me i want to talk about sci-fi this is a good example of this it's not that you can't read isaac asimov you can't read arthur c clark like arthur c clark in particular both of them arthur c clark and isaac asimov these are Books written by almost mathematicians. Mm. These are academics who had ideas and their writing ability doesn't always match the scope of the world they have imagined. So mm-hmm. with sci-fi, like I always suggest Ian M. Banks, mm. because again, somebody who has amazing ideas, very utopian sci-fi building, which I definitely prefer to dystopian sci-fi. Mm. But again, a beautiful grasp of the English language to a point where, other than, I'd say, consider Phlebas, his first sci-fi novel is not easy to read. Don't start there. But if you read The Player of Games, it's a fantastic, fast-paced, exciting book, but it's not weighed down by long, difficult sentences Mm. like Isaac Asimov can be. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, sci-fi is one of those ones. It's like it's a it's a genre infamous, or at least older sci-fi, a genre infamous for amazing ideas mm-hmm. and shaky execution of said ideas. <laughs> um, there are a lot of amazing sci-fi writers who may not have been the best writers. Mm. Philip K. Dick. <laughs> well, I mean, again, we, I mean, we mentioned this before when we were talking about this episode, you know, before recording that Philip K. Dick. If Philip K. Dick starts making sense, <laughs> you're in trouble. Maybe, maybe take a step back because it's it's a fun journey. But maybe you know if if, if it all starts to oh, it all makes sense now. No, it doesn't. It put the book down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe a wrap up thought. If you are looking into the little bakery of you know books, 
Mm-hmm. Maybe the nice experience to have would be, you know, somebody from inside the bakery notices you looking in and instead of just sort of shunning you, like, ah, mm-hmm. you're not good enough to be in here. Open the door, open a window, offer them a cookie. It's like, would you like to try something? That's what, I mean, that's exactly what we're trying to do here. Mm. So I want to, we've got a little list here of genres that we wanted to touch upon that have, you know, been important to us. Mm. And and this is what I want to do is kind of contrast the two. So another one I know Jeff and I have had excellent experiences with and kind of toes the line between, is it sci-fi? Is it fantasy? Is it fiction? It's magical realism. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, these are the books where, somebody weaves the mundane and the ordinary with the fantastic in a way that isn't always, you know, even the the, the narrator or the protagonist doesn't fully understand they're moving between the two. Yeah, it's not like portal fantasy. It's not going from the mundane to the fantastical. It's all together in a strange, almost dreamlike way. Yeah, they can be often like dreams. And, you know, the let's say the pillar of magical realism is also an incredibly difficult book to read, mm. which yeah, is 100 it? Years of Solitude. <laughs> yeah, like uh, Gabriela, uh, was it? Garcia Gabriela Marquez. Garcia Marquez, yes. They're, they're, I was recently gifted that book. It is somewhere in my apartment. <laughs> it's amazing. It It is amazing. It's the book that started it all, but yeah. it's, I would not recommend it to get mm. into the genre. I think, ironically, you need to read all the later fiction to really appreciate the original. Hmm. It's literally one of those books that, like Dostoevsky, another dreamlike author, he uses many characters with the same name. <laughs> Sometimes, like, you know, 100 Years of Solitude is also cyclical. So the idea that these characters of later generations keep repeating the same behaviors. Hmm. So sometimes that he'll use names to signify that. And it gets very confusing very quickly. Interesting. Whereas David Mitchell. Ah, David Mitchell. Can be. Very easy to read because mm. he's a one again one of these wonderful writers. That's mm-hmm. absolutely wonderful writer, and all of his books, magical realism, and they have this wonderful. They're all connected in their own way, mm-hmm. but you don't. It's not like reading like a three four part series of novels. You can read them all independently. Yeah, and you can never even know that any of the other books exist, and you'd have a fantastic time with the book you're reading. Mm. Yeah. But, when you're reading all of them, it kind of like it all feeds into each other and you get like a more of an appreciation for what's going on. But they're very wonderful books. Hmm. Mm. Like more, um, the, the other one I was wanting to say, yeah, yeah. Haruki Murakami. <laughs> but he's another one because, again, you're reading in translation. He's Japanese. And it should be noted that his books can be criticized for poor female representation. I don't feel comfortable recommending it's, those yes. books without that. You know, and little, it's something that's never improved over his entire career. It is very it, it static, is unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, it's the probably the biggest thing that stands between him and being, you know, one of the true greats. But books like The Wind-Up Bird Chronicles, The Hard-Boiled Wonderland, and a, a personal favorite of mine, Kafka on the Shore. Kafka on the Shore is actually a very accessible point for Murakami, I feel, more mm. so than Wind-Up Bird Chronicles that can be a little... Uh, unsatisfactory because it doesn't yeah. end <laughs> mm, yeah wild sheep chase as well is a really good one that's like mm-hmm. a, a a really great example of just pure magical realism maybe, mm-hmm. maybe i need to soothe the guilt a little bit because i'm hearing titles that have definitely sat on my shelf or a shelf somewhere that i had some mm-hmm. intention of reading at some point yeah mm. I, again these are little pastries that are being offered to the listener these are books we have enjoyed and feel may be accessible 
maybe you have to start with like whatever works for you. And this is for people who do want to start. We're not saying everybody needs to be a reader. Hmm. This is for people who want to read. And this is for us. I want to read more. Mm. I am trying to get into Pratchett. I've never really sat down and read with intent all of his books. And that's something I'm enjoying. Mm. I think uh, there, there are definitely a couple of good points to make here. This activity of reading, whereas it can be sort of like an excellent social binder when you have a group of people with whom you share a common interest, you share like a similar reading ability, so to speak. You have points to discuss within these social circles and you can sort of make good recommendations to people in that circle. It, it does come with a small byline that basically, yes, maybe this activity isn't for everyone. Maybe it's not for you, yeah. but it is worth exploring at least. And I think what I would like to finish on today is that idea that don't necessarily give up. Mm. Maybe it's not for you right now, mm. or perhaps you just haven't found the right book yet. I don't think ever buying books is a waste. And while I do like digital reading at the moment because it fits in with my lifestyle, mm -hmm. I do think that physical books have this wonderful benefit of if you buy a book and you don't like it, you can either sell it on or just give it away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very rarely a waste to buy a book, especially a good book. This, this is an experience I've had. Sometimes that book that you bought some two years, three years ago is just sitting on your shelf and then just one day out of the blue, it catches your attention. Yeah. And you do sit down and you do read it and it is enjoyable. I think the last point I do want to finish on is I think it's also important to note that maybe one of the metrics we need to drop is how many books or how many pages you're reading per day, per month, per year. And then just acknowledging that one, this is difficult. Okay. And two, this may not be for me right now is important. But three, if you do manage to get through a couple of pages or a couple of chapters or even a book, even if it is, you know, over an extended period, that is something to be personally celebrated. Yeah, have a pizza party. Mm -hmm. If that's what works for you. And otherwise, maybe this is just something that you have to exercise, get built back up to, and to the point when it does become a relaxation where you can just put on your Hugo blanket from last week, indulge in the minimal <laughs> branded, of course. Maybe we can get one with like the IM in the Scandi pattern throughout the... Mm. It's all coming together. It's all coming oh, together. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and then, yeah, wrap yourself up in the blanket and just get lost in a world... Whether it's, you know, a, a dark sci-fi dystopia mm. or a dreamy, magical realist, or maybe just a classic. Just sit down with... Gormagast. I was going to say Jane Austen, but fine. <laughs> sit down with Gormagast. Everybody sit down with Gormagast. That's what we're doing. Ooh. This is the Gormagast cast. And, and an honorable mention to audiobooks as well. Yes. They help. And an honorable mention to both Project Gutenberg and LibriVox. Mm. Good books don't have to cost you a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, truly. Good work. It's, it's good work from these people. Yeah. All right. So thank you for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed it, giving you some food for thought. And we will be back next week with our last episodes of the year. We will be doing a couple of Christmas, New Year's themed episodes to finish 2023. So please stay subscribed for that. Nearly a whole year of Indulgently Minimal. And we want to thank you all for joining us for this crazy ride and hope you'll stay with us for year two mm -hmm. so we've been indulgently minimal please subscribe on instagram mastodon keep up to date with everything we're doing we've got a lot of exciting plans for year two so 
Links in the show notes. Again, thank you so much to everybody that is supporting us on Coffee. It really does help keep making the show. And with the bills becoming due for year two, we do need your support. So please consider buying us a coffee over there. Mm-hmm. The link is www.ko-fi.com forward slash indulgently minimal. Any thoughts, questions, comments, do consider sending us an email. It's indulgentlyminimal at gmail.com. If you have any friends or family members for whom an episode or a topic has caught your interest and think they might benefit from, do tell them. It does help us as well. Yeah. All of our episodes are on social media. Share them. I don't know. Go and print out a transcript and hand it over if you think so. <laughs> if, you th- if you like our stuff, let, let others know. Go into the Apple Store, leave it on the screen, on the thing, on the iPads and the Macs and, and the phones in there, and just walk out. Let people find it naturally, organically. Organically. Organically, thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you for listening. I've been Moggy, and I've been joined today by Jeff. Thanks, guys. Read Goldman Cast. And, <laughs> and Murdoch. Ah, <laughs> uh, and remember, folks, indulge a little. It may be in a book this time. Uh, thanks for listening. See you for the next one. Bye. See you later, guys. Take care, everyone.